The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I am greatly blessed to be a part of this gathering of saints, saints that you have known before the foundation of the world, who have gathered here today to do as we have been designed to do, to sing the praises of your glorious grace. Lord, you have put us together as a plurality, as saints, plural. Lord, we know you as individuals, but we are so enhanced in our faith by coming together. It's by your design, Lord, that you have made us to be a church, and we thank you. And we pray that as your gathered together bride, that we'd be further adorned today by the word of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Everyone, please take your seats. And just as our scripture reading was from Ephesians, you want to open your Bibles back up to Ephesians chapter 1. Church, I'm very excited, along with I know many of you that we're working through the book of Ephesians together. This Pauline letter addressed to the believers, to the saints who were in Ephesus. This letter has had a tremendous impact on my own spiritual walk and my, my life with Christ. And it's a wonderful privilege to be able to be studying it more in depth with, with all of us, all of us together as we work through the book of Ephesians. I'm also thrilled to be able to preach today. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's been a while. Losing my job with the airlines does have its perks. <laughs> and I can say that knowing that life does have its ups and downs. Life has its ups and downs. But God is in control. God is in control, and he works in so many ways to instruct us for the the purpose that is beyond ourselves and it's truly for his glory. As I mentioned, life has its ups and downs. Many of you know that. And I want to start out with a story that had a major down in, in my life, but it also leads to one of the reasons why Ephesians is so special to me. 20 years ago, on June 3rd, 2000, Four years after Vanessa and I had started our relationship together, and two years after we had become married, we separated. It was extremely difficult, as you might imagine. It was a downtime in life, for sure. Separation is not what two individuals who have joined together in a covenant relationship ever expect to do. And although we had been anticipating the preparation of my departure for officer candidate school for some time, it was still a difficult separation, and one that we had to repeat many times through my military career. But during this first time apart, our normal routines were 
were drastically changed, if you would. If you would. We were no longer together, for one thing, but then my life and my time no longer were my own. I was fully under the watchful eye of my sergeant instructors and my platoon sergeant, and they made sure that my time was used for many things, and it wasn't always for Bible study and for prayer, as had been my, my normal, my custom. And we were told by military veterans that this would be the case, that this would uh, be my experience when I was at officer candidate school. But my wife, being the wonderful companion that she, she is, she did something for me that was truly a treasure, something I count as a treasure. She had taken one of her senior pictures. Some of you might be familiar with senior pictures. She would taken one of her senior pictures, and on the back of it, she had written Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And I'm going to read that for us just to put us into the context of where I'm going with this story. And it reads as this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit. With all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So can you picture this in your mind? Here's this stunning photo of my wife on one side, and then on the back is this powerful set of scriptures that are so encouraging to me on the other And just thinking of it brings a smile to my face as I consider this photo. And I won't tell you how long I spent trying to find it yesterday so I could bring it today. I treasured the whole of that photograph. The image of my wife on one side, scriptures written in her handwriting on the other. It was her love for me being lavished upon me with this gift. And it was the most perfect form that I needed to receive at that time. You see, while I was going through my training, although I had my Bible there, there were days that I wasn't able to open my Bible to study it. But I did have that picture, and on the back I had Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. And although I was a training, in training, in the United States Marine Corps, as a warrior, I was being rightly reminded every day by my bride who was removed from me, that I was already a warrior. A warrior in God's elite class 
his elect. I was his. She had blessed me with that. And even to this day, I frequently pray through the armor of God as I depart my house to go put on the uniform of our nation in case I needed to do what warriors need to do. I, I do this knowing that my spiritual preparedness is more important than anything else I could be doing as I head out the door. The Holy Spirit has used Paul's letter to the Ephesians to impress this upon me. Our prayer as elders, as we go slowly through this beginning section, that we build our base knowing where these blessings come from, that as we get to the end of the book and we see these more imperative chapters, that we'll be ready to do as I did, put on that armor of God and use all of this to God's glory. And just in way of review, as what we've been covering in these first 14 verses, if you will, but taking verses 3 through 14 in slow succession. Verse 4, we covered two weeks ago, which was a blessing that he, he chose us for holiness. And last week, verses 5 through 6, he predestined us for adoption. This week, we're looking at, we're looking at how he redeemed us, or let me see, that we're blessed by God because he redeemed us through Christ. Next week will be verses 11 and 12. And the blessing that he gave us as an inheritance. And the following will be verses 13 and 14. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. That's where we've gone, where we're going to be today, and where we're going in the next couple of weeks. And these are vital reminders for us, church, as we we get ready for the faithful, or as vital reminders for us as we we step off in faith to uh, do battle, spiritual battle. Because ever since that fateful day in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve broke God's commandment and ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, ever since that day, there's been an ongoing struggle for humanity. And it has been trying to turn us away. We've been trying to turn away from the devil's deception, trying to turn away from the devastating effects of sin, trying to recreate peace, a peace that once was part of the created order that God had put, and restore unity the way God intended. But I think we all know, because of sin and because of our depravity, the struggle has led and continues to lead us further away from God and further away from peace rather than closer to it. By working through our section of Scripture today, we'll see how God's blessings have undone the work of the devil in Christ, specifically in terms of his redemptive work. In our first section that we're going to cover, we're going to look at the cosmic battle plan. We're going to go through the scriptures in in four main sections here today. First is the cosmic battle plan. Then I'm going to look at the copious grace, followed by clearly revealed, and then ending with coming together. But first, with the cosmic battle plan, verse 7, just the first section of it, reads, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. This is where we're going to start, with the blessing of redemption, because it's the way that God worked, the way that he works and continues to work 
Redemption was God's plan to undo the devastation of sin. Redemption was God's plan to undo the devastation of sin. Our sin has had the proper impact of removing us from God. Our sin, the sins of our ancestors, that has been the impact of it. Removing us from holy God. And nothing our ancestors could have done and nothing we could do could reverse that. Nothing could restore that right relationship. And there have been pictures of this given to us throughout the ages. In particular for us as Christians, we turn to the scriptures. And as a way of illustration, I want to use the Passover. Many of us are familiar with the Passover. If you want to refresh yourself on that, in Exodus chapter 7 through 12, you can find a good description of where the Passover came from. But in the way of background, Moses was sent by God to bring his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses was sent there to bring them out. But the Egyptian king, the Pharaoh, he was not listening. His heart was hardened like a, like a piece of stone. And it got progressively harder as the plagues came upon him. But there was a final plague that was to be the death of the firstborn across the whole land. Every household was going to feel the effects of this plague and all the livestock. In conjunction with the plague, God instituted the Passover. He told his people through Moses that what they were to do was to take a spotless lamb, a one-year-old blemish-free lamb. And at twilight, they were to sacrifice the lamb. And they were to take the blood of that lamb as many of you know, have heard before, and take the blood of it and put it on the doorposts and put it on the lintel. And then when the destroyer was to come and pass through to take the firstborn of every house, God was going to stay the hand, if you will, of the destroyer in any house that had the covering of blood. And when you consider this, you have to ask the question, what was so significant about a lamb, a sacrificial lamb? What was so significant about the blood? And the answer is that it was a picture. It was a picture that Israel had to be aware of, that it was pointing to something greater. That God had made a provision for that night that there would be a passing over of the consequences of sin in their home, that death would not come, but that was temporary, and that was a once, a one-time thing. God's judgment poured out on sin is death. The Israelites were firsthand witnesses of that. And as a church, we should be praising God that God is just, and that he does demand such a price. The sacrificial lamb which God commanded showed us that the price could be paid, and it could be paid only with the lifeblood the lifeblood of a creature had to be given. And this is the picture that's being forever imprinted upon the Jewish people. And as we look, we see it as well. And we say, yes, we await the day for that perfect sacrifice. That's what the Jewish people thought. We await the day. We look back and we say, the day has come. That perfect sacrificial lamb was Christ, of course. You see, friends, we've all been foolish and have sinned against God. Every one of us. 
The passage that's before us mentions trespasses. Those are sins. And trespasses can carry the connotation of an offensive sin, something done on purpose, but it can also carry the meaning of a misstep, something that's even done accidentally, but it's still bringing about the devastating impact of estranging us from a relationship with God. Either way, this is what our sin does. It's the same pattern that we witness if we look all the way back to the garden. I've already mentioned it once today because it's so significant. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they broke God's commandment, what did they do? They realized they were naked. And so they covered themselves. They sewed fig leaves together and they covered themselves. And then when they heard God coming, they hid themselves from God. Sin does that. It brings about shame. It causes us to want to hide from God. And then righteous and holy God had to exclude them from the garden. He removed them from his presence so they would not be able to take of the tree of life and eat it. But he did not remove them without making a promise first. The significance of that promise. I hope everyone is well aware that there was a promise made as well in the garden. And it was that from the seed of the woman, there would be one that comes that would crush the head of the serpent. The serpent was the foreign element, was it not, in the garden? Where did sin come from? Where was this serpent and why did he show up? Why did he deceive? One day, one who would be powerful enough to overthrow the serpent was going to come. And that's Jesus. That is Jesus. And Paul is drawing us our attention to that one who did rise up, Christ Jesus, our Lord. And in him, we have redemption. Redemption means forgiveness. In Christ, we have forgiveness from our sins. And how is this possible? It's possible because Christ's blood was the perfect blood, the sacrificial atonement that we needed for our sins to be paid. And he gave it freely for us. And he did this to accomplish his cosmic battle plan to defeat sin and death. This wasn't an afterthought. It was on purpose. And it wasn't temporary, but it was permanent. God did this for us in Christ. And this is the gospel. This is why we gather as a church to this day. It's the good news. We have redemption. And we, as we move into our, our next section, none of this was done by accident. None of it was done apart from God's perfect plan. It was keeping with his plan that we now turn our attention to look at his abundant grace, his copious grace that he gives to us. We're going to pick up partway through verse 7 and continue through verse 8, beginning with the word according. We read, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us with all wisdom and insight. Beloved, our God is so good. He is so good. He, he lavishes upon us blessing upon blessing. The goodwill of God is abundantly given. It's, it's showered down upon us. Just think of like a covering of a shower, but it's even more than that. The word here 
means so much more that it's like it's going all the way into us. Like we're inundated with God's grace. It goes into us. It penetrates within. It covers us and it goes in. It's God's grace. And I want us to to be drawn into this important aspect of the passage for our day-to-day living as the redeemed. We've been infused with this grace and so it has an impact on the way we live because we've been covered. We've been penetrated by the grace of God. Because of this, we know God's goodness. We know it. Sometimes we forget about it, but when we take the time to pause and think, we know it. We know God's goodness and his grace that's just been lavished upon us. And as we soak in this, as we know the grace of the Lord, as we encourage one another in it, because of that, we're able to put this characteristic on display. As God's beloved, we put his grace on display for others to see. Others are able to watch what it looks like to to see what grace lived out looks like as we live before them, fully trusting in the Lord's grace and work for us. I like how Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. He says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another, for all to see. That's what God wants us to do. Paul's encouraging that. We have been immensely blessed, and we in turn are to be a blessing to others. To one another here in the body, And very importantly, as witnesses of Christ to those who are outside the community of believers. And if we are to take our cue from this passage, this all begins with forgiveness. It all begins with forgiveness. As we realize that we've been forgiven, that it's a gift from God, that that is what the grace of God is, it's the forgiveness of our sins, then we ought to start by forgiving one another. We exercise our grace by being those who forgive others. And we forgive one another. Saints, we have received forgiveness. You've received forgiveness. It's truly a blessing to know that we have been forgiven. We have been forgiven. And because of this, we can share it with enthusiasm. And we should share it with enthusiasm. We should look for opportunities to share forgiveness. Do you think you'll have an opportunity to grant forgiveness this week to someone here in the church? Do you think you'll be able to offer forgiveness to someone outside of the the church body? I do hope so. I hope we actually think about making that a part of our prayer life more frequently. Like, God, who's going to wrong me today that I could just then freely forgive them and let them know that they are forgiven? I'm forgiven and I want to forgive them. Even if it's a foreign concept to them, let that be the start of a conversation that leads to the gospel being shared to them today. I was thinking about forgiveness and uh, just the way we live and the way we, we go through this life, we learn things. And a practical tip for you, if you will, on forgiveness. I've learned it the hard way and I'm still learning. But don't demand certain phrases to, to be queued up in order for you to be able to forgive someone. So many of us are training up our children in the home. We're trying to use very exacting language and teach them proper language. 
Or maybe you're just really hard-headed like myself, and so you wait for certain things to kick in, and then, okay, they're asking, I will give. It's not, it doesn't work that way. It's not supposed to work that way. I'm thinking of, I'm sorry. I've historically not thought that as really a, well, they're not really asking for forgiveness. They're just saying, I'm sorry. But what I'm encouraging us in church is don't require a certain phrase. Let's be filled enough with grace that we realize what the heart is. And then go from there. Grant forgiveness and seek forgiveness. It could be as simple as someone saying, I didn't mean to hurt you. You could grant them forgiveness for saying that. You don't need a special word. And remember that we've been lavished with God's grace. It's been poured out in abundance. And for that reason and from that position, we should be exercising forgiveness. We should in our homes, in our workplace. And in the middle of this pandemic, I think we should be infectious with forgiveness. And maybe you can use that as a spiritual reminder even. As we sometimes are getting a little bit saturated with all this talk about disease, realize, well, I've been infected with redemption, with God's blood, with grace. And even as you start to maybe be brought down a bit by all this talk about disease, you can say, well, maybe I should be thinking about how I can forgive someone. It can be a a, a biblical reminder, if you will, in our current day and age. You have been forgiven by the blood of Christ, and you can therefore forgive others. God has lavished his grace upon us and has not hidden this. The Bible says, in fact, that it is clearly revealed. That's what we're going to be focused on now is that this is clearly revealed. It's been made known. Picking up in verse 9, going partway through verse 10, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. So we're going to stop right there for now. He's making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. You could say that the veil has been lifted the author of Hebrews in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 19, writes it this way. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened, how did he open it? He opened it for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. The mystery has been made known because Christ has come. The Savior has come. The mystery that Paul speaks of here in Ephesians guess what? It's no longer a mystery. It's been revealed. It's clearly revealed in Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying here that that what the prophets had been proclaiming but did not know fully, now we know. We know it was Jesus who came and fulfilled all righteousness. This was Jesus's plan. As we read here in verse 10, as a plan, a plan. This was Jesus' plan, his way of stewarding what belonged to him. I want you to think of when you see that plan as Jesus' stewardship. This was Jesus' stewardship plan, his management practice, if you will. 
to be worked out, namely, in his church. He stewards those who belong to him by creating and bringing together his church. The church has arrived because Jesus willed it to be, because he built it, and because he paid for it with his precious blood. With that, church, as we focus upon how the church came to be, why it exists, it shouldn't be that hard for us to make the leap into this next statement I'm going to make. Church, we're not crushed by a governor of a state. We're not destroyed by a political party. Think about it. When did the church begin? About 2,000 years ago. In that amount of time, what have we seen as far as world powers and authorities? Seen evil emperors. Seen tyrannical kings. Seen communism, fascism, every type of socialism. We've seen all kinds of ways of ruling people. Many of them, many of them have been devastating to Christians. What is still here? The church is still here because God willed it to be. He paid for it with his blood, precious blood of Christ. And he's not going to let it go. He's not going to let it go. The blood of those martyred for their faith will be vindicated in Christ at the appointed time. So are you currently beside yourself over the political environment we find ourselves in? You might be. I'm not advocating for us to aid in the destruction of our civility or the downfall of our our nation. I think we should pray as Ben helped lead us in prayer today. We need to be praying for our leaders and for our nation. And I do regularly. But we do need to recognize that the church belongs to Jesus. It's his. It doesn't require freedom of religion. It doesn't require freedom of speech. It doesn't require those things in order for it to have protections to survive. God will ensure his church survives. The gospel will endure. The lifeblood of the church is the living blood of Jesus Christ. And that's not going away. It'll never go away. It's eternal. And he gave it for us. And I know, and I can sense that this is an area of struggle as far as the political environment that we're currently in, the angst that it causes, even the conversations that are already being hard to have because we are covered with masks most of the time. And it it pains me. And and we should rightly be grieved over the erosion of our religious freedom. And, and so where do we make those hurts known? Do we gripe about those things out and open? Sometimes. But I'd say the right place to do that is as a church body. When we are feeling a lament, share that here in the church so we can pray accordingly for one another. And we can pray for where we are grieved. Let us pray together. Let us pray in the Spirit and let the Spirit lead us for all God's purposes to be fulfilled, he's going to allow this to play out for the fullness of time. 
Let us pray also for boldness. We saw that in the early church. Let us pray for boldness to make the mystery of the gospel known throughout our land. I want to bring in another quote from Paul, this one from 1 Corinthians 4.12, when he writes, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. If the mystery has been made known and we are to be those who carry along as stewards the mysteries of God, we are to make the mystery known. The gospel is to be proclaimed. We do what, and we do as servants of Christ, we steward these mysteries. We do as Christ did. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.10, as each has received a gift, use it to the service of one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, we use our gifts. We share them. Because God's mystery has been clearly made known. It's been clearly revealed. Now we shift to our last section of coming together. As we look at the the last half of verse 10, picking up, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the coming together as we narrow in on this last section of our passage this morning, I want you to see the completeness, the completeness of what God is accomplishing. In my meditating upon this handful of verses over the past few weeks in preparation for preaching today, the Holy Spirit kept bringing me back to this unite all things in him. Unite all things in Christ. It it kept coming back to that. Unite, unite, unite. How? In Christ. What? All things. Unite. In Christ. All things. This has been the plan from the beginning. The cosmic battle plan was to defeat sin, Satan and death through the blood of Christ, forgiving sins and trespasses. It wasn't an afterthought. The abundant and copious grace of God has been lavished upon his chosen ones. Through the outpouring of his grace, he clearly revealed the mystery of his will. All of this being set forth in Christ as the plan for the fullness of time. And then here, it's all coming together. And these terms are packed with with significance. Unite, starting here, I love this idea. It's to be a subordinate element, a subordinate element, and to join with him through the blood of Christ. So we take this subordinate element and we become fused. We make a single primary element. The subordinate element becomes part of the primary element, and this is God's plan. It joins us with him, and it's done so through the blood of Christ. The blood which was given by grace to forgive us our trespasses. And as we are joined together with him, we become part of his single primary unit or element. We become members of the family of God. 
That is God's doing. He brings all things together for the, for the perfection of his will. And in this case, he joins us together to be part of the family of God. And in concert with uniting, is paired with all things. As you might expect, all things means all things, everything. He brings it all together. Not one, not one who is to be a part of God's family will be excluded. Not one. He knows who are his own. He won't let anyone slip through his fingers. There's not going to be an accident. Oh, I forgot that one. He's going to unite all things, including all people who belong to him. And I'm grateful for that. But there's more, dear brothers and sisters. With the uniting of all things comes the quantifiers of things in heaven and things on earth. He quantifies it. And I believe that this time has begun already. This is going to happen in the fullness of time, but I believe it's begun already because we've been revealed the mystery of God's will in Jesus Christ. Because of that, it has, it has set off this, this cascade of events. The gospel has not been made known. Or the gospel has been made known, excuse me, and it's why we join together, is it not? Why else would we come together other than for the gospel. So this uniting of all things has begun. It's happening. There are members of the church that we don't fully know right now because they've already passed on and they've entered into the presence of the Lord, but they're still part of that one primary element of the church universal. And we are part of that as well. We're just still clothed with our humanity with our flesh. And we don't get to see all things perfectly. But we do celebrate. We celebrate being a part of God's family. And we await the completion of his work. We're all things in heaven, where God, the place of God where he dwells, and the things on earth where we currently dwell, where these are brought together in unity. We look forward to that day. It gives us hope for a future that is better than the one we currently have because we know it's already happening. It's begun. In Colossians 1.20, we read, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How does he make peace? By the blood of his cross. Colossians 1.20. This is all meant for us as a group of believers. Have you noticed, as we've been working through our section of Ephesians, not only today, but starting in verse 3, and it'll continue all the way through verse 14, have you noticed the pronouns of the section here? Here we have, especially in this first section, as I mentioned, the first person plural, we. It's addressed to we, the saints. We were singing the opening song today, the, the saints marching on to Zion, plural. Now, although we have individual relationship with the Lord, we are enhanced by making sure we are joined together as a, as a body of believers. 
Additionally, the possessive adjective Paul uses is our, all through this section. And I bring our attention to this church because here in America, the American church, what do we tend to do? We act American. We individualize so much of our faith walk. We, we tend to pull apart. I wouldn't say necessarily Pillar Bible Fellowship, but just in general, tendency in the American church is we tend to pull apart. I can do it on my own, Jesus and me. But that's not what we get here. There's an encouragement for this to be a, a joined together experience. And it impacts our corporate identity depending on how we, we view this and how we live it out. So what are we doing? We're taking our time to work through these verses. As Ben said, to savor God's goodness and the blessings that are for us. It cannot be overlooked that he intended us to act in concert with one another. He intended us to act in concert with one another as we live side by side. But how do we do this? When have you felt most connected with the body? One poignant memory for Vanessa and I is sitting behind our house and having Natalie and Ben come over and and weep with us as we went through the process of understanding Vanessa's mother's uh, terminal cancer diagnosis and what that meant. I know recently I've I've heard a trembling in Seth's voice when he mentioned standing beside the DeHarts as their property burned. Living life side by side together. You know, there's a joining that occurs during these times. We also, of course, have joyous occasions. It's not all terminal cancer or buildings burning. We have baptisms that we join together and celebrate. Those are so much fun. There's been rafting trips that have taken place. Recently, backpacking adventures finding the the goodness in that, even the cold, the wind and the rain, but it's together, it's side by side. Many of you who are on the WhatsApp know that Jason suggested a a prayer and fasting day on November 7th. And I, I get excited about these kinds of events that we would come together as a church and join each other in prayer and in fasting. So what the early church did makes sense that we would do so as well. And I hope it gains traction, even though he did pick a drill weekend. So it is special prayer gatherings. It's planning mission trips that we live life together. It's community group. It's Sunday mornings that have a way of spilling into Sunday afternoons. This is when we live life side by side. And I hope you're thinking of more. Fellowship with one another is vital. It's absolutely vital to our being connected as a body, to our coming together, to, what God, to do what God has intended us to do. The point is that we are to be living as the redeemed. We have redemption. It is to be enjoyed forevermore as we are united together, dear saints, forevermore. This is who we are. Even if we don't see it fully, we can embrace it and we can strive for it. Church, this is how God continues to show us his blessings. He redeemed us through Christ. In the beginning, I mentioned the significance of Ephesians 6. 
verses 10 through 20, in my walk with the Lord. And in that passage, Paul reminds us that a spiritual battle rages on. A spiritual battle rages on. And we're not excluded from the effects of that battle as it rages. We might have our blinders on, much like a, a horse. They put blinders on who's pulling a carriage. And we might not see it, but that doesn't mean we're not feeling the bumps and the bruises along the way. But in order for us to get to the place in chapter 6 where Paul's writing can have a, a significant impact on the way we armor up to go through this walk of ours, in order for it to have an impact on our day-to-day living, we need to firmly grasp these blessings that are available to us early on in the book. That's why we're taking our time to work through them so slowly, because they're the foundation. The grace of God has been lavished upon us. Redemption has been given to us. The blessing from today is that he redeemed us through Christ. The way that this has been seen as a truth for us to grab a hold of today and to live by, hopefully you've been starting to assimilate this, is that the redemptive work of Christ perfectly unites all things in him. That is the truth. And as we are washed over by the redemptive work of Christ, as we embrace our forgiveness through his shed blood, we give ourselves over to the unifying work he is doing. And so we are blessed by living a Holy Spirit and dwelt life. We're blessed by that. And it's for God's glory, as are all things. This is done, church, as part of the fullness of God's plan in time, uniting all things in Christ. We are part of it. We are on that timeline. And he is going to bring it to completion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you truly are a giver of good gifts. We thank you, Lord, for the redemption that has been granted to us, the forgiveness of our sins, the forgiveness of our trespasses, those that we have done on purpose, those that we have done to to spite you, and those that we do carelessly. Thank you, Lord, for taking all of them and washing them away with the blood of your son, Jesus. Lord, as a church body, our prayer is that we would fully grasp and hold on to the blessings that are being shared with us through the early section of Ephesians, that we would meditate upon these throughout the the week that follows, that we would engage one another in conversation about them, that we would pray through these blessings and ask for more of them so that you might allow us to stand firm, God, to be bold and to proclaim the truth, to make the mysteries of the gospel known wherever you take us, whether that's inside of our homes as we minister to our children or in a workplace or wherever. Wherever you take us, Lord, we want to be ambassadors of truth. Build us more in the knowledge of your truth and may it work itself out as it ought to, as a forgiving people that are filled with grace that live for you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.